the Bible, Jesus told a story about a loving father and a wayward son. This is that story.
Well, after that, I just say, any questions? <laughs> Thank you for coming, all right? <laughs> Welcome to Northridge if you're a guest. Thanks so much for coming. If you're at one of our regional campuses, we're one church, but we meet in four locations. So glad that you're here. So Northridge Celine, Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Brighton, glad to have you. And here in Plymouth, it's great to see you. This, uh, this is a very, very, very important series, so we decided to kick it off in a big, big way. Didn't the team do an awesome job? So proud of them. Awesome. For those of you who haven't been to church in 30 years, you're going to go, that's church? Yes, sir. That's church. What you just experienced is a very creative and relevant telling of one of Jesus' most important personal and powerful stories. It's often called the story of the prodigal son, so we're calling this series the prodigal, but there's so much more in this series than just one idea, one character, and one thought. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to really, really, I hope, experience the relevance and impact of all that Jesus taught us. And if you want to read the story, and I hope that you will, and study it on your own, it's in Luke chapter 15, verses 
11 through 24. But what I want you to see this weekend as we kick this series off is that in this story, Jesus makes it clear that contrary to popular religious opinion of his day and of ours, even people whose lives have been totally defined by failure, who are seriously flawed, even significant mess-ups matter to God. And that's good news for us because it's a pretty accurate description of all of our lives, right? certainly is mine. Here's the story in a nutshell that this song just communicated so brilliantly. The prodigal, the rebellious son, wants his father's stuff, but doesn't want the father himself. Give me my inheritance. And the reason he does this is because he thinks life would be a lot better with, without the father putting boundaries on his life and robbing him of the freedom of how he wanted to live. And so the father amazingly gives him his inheritance and this young man goes away and squanders it all. His life crashes, he ends up in the pig pen and he thinks of, of what he lost. And there in that pig pen, in a season of introspection of all that he had done and all that he had lost, he made a wrong conclusion. He, he concluded that he could never get it back. He thought that it had left him messed up for life, you know, living a life with the pigs and guilt and regret and remorse and brokenness and loss, that, that no matter what, this defined his future, his present in the pig pen, no hope. The problem was that he didn't, after all those years, he didn't really know or understand his father. That's why he wanted to escape him so badly. So he decided there in that pig pen to go back, to admit that he had significantly blown it, his sin, and to ask his father for the most he could ever imagine possible. Not to be a son again because, come on, but to be a servant in his father's house. Now imagine this. He who once was the son thinking he was in bondage, now knew that even as a servant in his father's home, his life would be significantly better than without the father at all. In the end, he was welcomed back, not as a, a servant, but as a son. And the part I really like is, and with a great party. So you might ask, why is this story Jesus told 2,000 years ago so relevant for us. And I'm going to tell you right on the front end, and then hopefully we'll tease out more impact from the story later. But the story is important to us because it's the story of our relationship with God. It's your story, the story of your relationship with God, because we're all prodigals. We're all mess-ups. We're all flawed and defined by failure, every single one of us. And in fact, this is the truth I want you to see as we kick off this series. And I hope you'll mark it down. I hope you'll breathe it in and allow it to take root in your life. We've all, every single one of us, run away from God. Every single one of us. But we haven't all returned home. And this is true of the religious and irreligious. You'll really see this as we travel through this whole story over the next several weeks. But 
every single one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of how significant our failure is in our own eyes or in the eyes of others, whether we can relate to the lost son we look at this weekend or not, we've all run away from God, but we haven't all returned home. Many of us are still living without God and without hope. Isaiah 53, 6 says it very clearly. We all, like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And I have to tell you, because this is my own story, because it's a story I can relate to all too well, I, I, I get a lot from the prodigal, this story. I, I learn a lot. And I believe there are many relevant things that you can learn about yourself as well, just as I have. And so I'm going to kind of walk through that this weekend. And here's the first. I always wonder, why do we run away from God? I mean, what's the reason we run? And here we have Jesus telling the story of our lives through the story of this guy we know as the prodigal. What's the reason we choose to run? Well, the answer is pretty simple. We believe the lie that life would be better without God. That's why we run. It's just like the prodigal. He really thought his life would be better without God, without his father putting boundaries on him, and that's how we are. This is the story of humanity. This is my story and your story. This is the story of our world. It's the story that begins all the way back with Adam and Eve. I mean, look at it. It's their story, the story of the prodigal, which means it's our story because we come through them. In Genesis 3, verses 4 and 6, God had said, look at you need me for life, and without me, you'll only experience death. And then the serpent comes to Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and God had given them, every, given them everything they needed, everything, everything they needed. He says, the only thing you don't need is this one tree, and the reason it's here is because I've made you in my image. You're people with free choice, and... Without free choice, the ability to choose, you can't reflect my image, so this tree represents what you don't need. Don't touch it or you'll die. And the serpent says in verse 4 of chapter 3 of Genesis, you'll not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from this tree that he's told you not to eat from, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's saying God's holding out on you. You know what he's saying? Your life would be better without the Father. Take his stuff, take creation, take all he's made for you, but leave him out and your life would be better. And when the woman started seeing it through that lens, just like the prodigal son, just like us, when she started seeing that tree through the lens of, I won't die, my life would be better without the Father. She said, wow, it's, it is desirable. It looks good. It looks pleasing to the eye. I'll gain wisdom. I'll, my life will be better. So she took some and she ate it. And that initial adrenaline must have been so great because then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and, and he ate it. There in that moment, they believed the lie that life would be better without God. That's what the prodigal son believed and that's what we believe. And we're at all different stages of this, you know, because what you need to know is that the journey away from God starts gloriously. It really does. I mean, you heard it in the song. You can read it in Luke 15. I mean, the prodigal son had a marvelous time. I mean, he experienced all the pleasure that he thought he could never have in the father's home. He lived a crazy life. 
It started gloriously. The same with Eve. She ate that fruit and said, wow, that's awesome. Gave it to her husband. I mean, they had a moment of glory. But know this. The journey away from God always ends tragically. And I hope you'll mark this down. The journey away from God always ends tragically. No exceptions whatsoever. It ends, as with the prodigal, in the pig pen. There he was, living with deep disappointment, saying, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? He was no longer saying, well, at least I had a good time for a while. He was now saying, I wish I had never left. The prodigal wanted to be free. He thought he'd be free by breaking away from his father, but in the end, he was more enslaved than ever as a runaway. And, and I want you to be careful, because this is very often where people like us sitting around in churches, and we can start thinking, oh, those people who reject God, oh my gosh, how awful is that? And we start thinking of the runaways and those rejecting God as as atheists, as people out there, as people who would never be sitting in here, but it's absolutely wrong. Because, you see, this isn't just relevant to those who have full-out rejected God in every area of their lives. This is relevant for every single one of us who've rejected God in any area of our lives, big or small. We can have God as a part of almost every area of our lives, but if we've rejected him in any area, relationally, financially, vocationally, sexually, sexually then, then we have done what the prodigal did. We reject God when we reject what he said about how we should live in any one of these areas. We're believing the lie that that area of our life would be better if we leave God out of it. My finances would be better if I left God out of it. My Sex life would be better if I leave God out of it. My, my career will be better if I leave God out of it. My relationships will be better if I leave God out of it. My pleasure will be greater if I leave God out of it. Wherever it is that we do that, when we accept this lie and do our own thing, we ultimately regret it without exception. It may start gloriously, but it will end tragically. And the sad reality is that some of us here know about the tragic endings of leaving God out of those areas of our lives. We still reel from it. We, even if forgiven, harbor deep regrets about having ever taken that road, as I'm sure the prodigal did. But some of us here, more dangerously, haven't yet experienced the tragedy of the ending that will come when we reject God in any area of our lives. But what we need to know is that once we've done this, very often we linger a long time in the runaway season, we, we stay away from God for a long time. We have a hard time coming back. I think you got the sense of it in the song, but you'll certainly get the sense of it in the story. This guy was in the pig pen for a long time. This guy was in desperation for a long time. It took a long time to uncloud the mind as to what life was really about and what he had done. He didn't return, and he didn't return, and he didn't return, but then he did. But, but from this, I... I learned something about me, and maybe you can learn something about you. Why is it that I spend so long away from God when I'm experiencing the tragedy of having rejected him in an area of my life? How come I waste so much time away from him? Why don't I return? And the reason we don't return is pretty obvious from this story. We believe the lie once we fail and once we mess up and 
once we've really blown it, we believe the lie that God doesn't want us anymore and or that God won't accept us anymore. We believe that we're the failures we feel. And you need to know the lie that failure is final with God is exactly that, it's a lie. This is why Adam and Eve went into hiding when God came down. They thought failure was final. The prodigal thought failure was final, but, but it was only because he didn't understand the father and the more he reflected and the more he learned, the more he said it's worth the risk, maybe I can be a slave in his household. But when he went back, he learned what he never knew when he lived with his father. And here's the reality about God we all need to see. He loves us unconditionally. I mean, you read this story, and that father never stopped loving his son. It doesn't matter what we've done. The father loves us. It doesn't matter where we've been. He wants us home. He loves us. And let me say it more personally. He loves you. There's a lot of self-loathing in this world. There's a lot of self-hatred in this world. There are a lot of us who have a very difficult time embracing the joy of life, the good things of life, because we know we don't deserve them, but that means we don't understand the Father. We think we deserve a life of failure because we've failed, and we do, but we don't understand that he doesn't want us to live there. God loves you unconditionally, and it goes beyond that. You need to know that the difference between the teachings of Jesus and every religion in the world centers on this idea of unconditional love. You will not find that description of God anywhere else but in Jesus ultimately. And because of his unconditional love, here's what you need to know about you. He takes a special interest in you because he takes a special interest in failures. This, this helped me so much when I started realizing this truth because I've had a lot of people point their finger at me and remind me what a failure I am. By the way, aren't you, don't you appreciate people who have been called by God to remind you what a failure you are? Don't you appreciate those people? I mean, don't you just absolutely enjoy, do you send them thank you notes? Thank you so much for using your gift of self-destruction, you know, on me. I really appreciate it. But people have, all through my life, reminded me of what a failure I've been. But this story, tells me that God takes a special interest in people like me, in failures, in people like you. Look at Luke 19.10. This is why Jesus came, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He didn't come for successes. He came for failures. Doesn't that change your view of God a little bit? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his unconditional love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, while we were in the pig pen, while we were the failures, while we were the prodigals, while, while we were the runaways, he came and he died for us because he takes a special interest in failures. And so here we have this beautiful story, but it comes down to one more very relevant lesson for me that I have to relearn all the time. And it's the reality about me, it's the reality about us. Yes, this story is our story, which means that the options the prodigal had are our, option, are our options. Here's the reality about us. The choice is ours. That's what it means to be created in God's image. We have choice. The choice is ours. We've all failed. We've all run away. That's true. But we haven't all yet come home. The choice is ours. 
God's love is unconditional. He takes a special interest in failures. He is willing to redeem us, to forgive us, but the choice is ours. And we can live in anger against God and anger against the world and anger against those who betrayed us. We can continue to live in bitterness and malice, or we can make a different choice. The choice is ours. I love this story because this guy made a horrific choice, but then he made a different choice, and he went home. But that's not everyone's story, because everyone doesn't make that choice. Remember the truth? We've all run away, but we haven't all come home. The choice is ours. We can live with the pigs. And that's where many of us are living. Living with the guilt and the regrets and the emptiness and the loneliness and the loss. We're, we're just wallowing in the mud with the pigs. Or we can return to God. And I, I have to tell you, this is the only intelligent choice to return to God. It's the only intelligent choice. We, we need to reject the lie that God doesn't want us and won't accept us. This, because this story demolishes that lie. Here's the reality, and, and I hope you'll get this. This is almost tweetable. <laughs> Should probably send it to our new president. When runaway children come home, heaven throws a party. When runaway children come home, heaven throws a party. Now, a I, I, long time ago, actually shared in the past, I, I came across a story written so wonderfully by a guy named Yancey in a book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and it just, I've never forgotten it. Because it's the story of the prodigal only set in our world. It's the story of the prodigal only set in our state. It's the story of the prodigal only in a way that we can understand. And I'm going to read it to you. And I hope you'll be as engaged by this as I am and have been. Because it gives you the clear picture of who we are and why we run and why we don't come home and and what God is like and about our choice. There was a young girl who grew up on a cherry orchard in Traverse City, Michigan. And Yancey writes, her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times, and she seethes inside, he writes. I hate you. She screams at her father when he knocks on her door after an argument. That night, she acts out a plan that she had mentally rehearsed many times. She runs away. She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group, of all things, to watch the Tigers play. And because the newspapers in Traverse City report so much about the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she figures that that's the last place that her parents would look for her. California, Florida, maybe, but not Detroit. Her second day in the city, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, and arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt in her entire life. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. 
The good life continues for a month, for two months, for a year. The man with a big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. And occasionally she thinks about the folks back home. But their lives seem so boring in comparison. She can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture painted on a milk carton with the headline, Have You Seen This Child? But by now she has blonde hair and with all the, you know, all the body piercings she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways too and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year on her own in the city, the first sallow signs of illness appear. And it amazes her how, how fast the boss turns mean. These days, we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She, she still turns a couple of tricks at night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department store. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes, her cough worsens. One night, she awakens, listening for footsteps, and all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty, and she's hungry, and she needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled atop her coat and something jolts a synapse of memory and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City. When a million cherry blossoms sprout at once with her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball God, why did I leave? She says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now, and she's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, all she wants is to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time, she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. Takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City, and during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What, what if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she's preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She, she hasn't apologized to anyone in years. Every so often a billboard 
a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City when the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over that bus microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. 15 minutes. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth, and she looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips, fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice, if, that is, if they're there. She walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousands of scenes that have played out in her mind prepared her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal as a sign that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins the memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I, I know. And he interrupts her and says, Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. We've all run away from God. But we haven't all come home. And the primary point of the story of this lost son is that if you want to experience a better life you want to experience the life that you're longing for, it's time to come home. Let me say it more personally. For some of you right now, it's time for you to come home. And though it seems difficult, Jesus made it clear it's not. We just have to make the choice. It's all we have to do. Like the prodigal, we just have to recognize the lie. He came to his senses. His father's slaves were better off than him. We, we don't find life and freedom when we leave the father. We lose life and freedom when we leave the father. We have to recognize the lie. Your life's not better without God. Having God's stuff does not replace God himself. Having God without any of the stuff is better than not having God at all. Recognize the lie. Like the prodigal, we just have to return to the father. We just have to, we have to go back to where we went wrong. The prodigal finally woke up to the reality that life wasn't better without God. God's stuff was worthless without him. I, I love how the song put it. My home is right where you are. My home. Imagine when the prodigal came to that. My home, father, is right where you are. I was looking for home in all the wrong places. You're my home, and the same is true for us. But to experience it, we have to make the choice to return to the Father. Not to return to religion, to return to the Father. Like the prodigal, we have to 
repent of our sin. I mean, we have to repent. I've sinned. I'm not worthy. He was finally ready to experience all the Father had for him because he finally understood he wasn't entitled to it. It was a privilege to have it. It was grace. It was love. And we have to, like the prodigal, receive the Father's love. The Father saw him as he was and and was still filled with love. If you know anything about culture, Middle East, this guy wouldn't have run. They just didn't run. Patriarchs didn't run, but this one did. Why? Because this is what God the Father's like, not what a cultural father is like. He ran, he hugged, and he kissed the son. And then, like in our story from Traverse City, he, he threw a party. And here's the point I want you to get. You matter to God. I don't care what mom and dad may have told you or not told you or what a ex-spouse has told you or not told you or what a present spouse has told you or not told you or what a child has told you or a boss has told you or a church has told you. You matter to God. He loves you and he longs for you. You don't have to stay where you are. You can come home. You don't have to live as an outcast. You can live as a child, but you have to receive his love. Look at John 1:12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And, and here's the only question I really, I really want to ask. Why not now? Why not now? Just before I finish the talk, I'm going to ask if you would bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. If this story has connected with you a tenth of how it connects with me, I know that, that you're wrestling with some things. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I... I I know because this is my story too. There are areas of your life where you've run away from God. You've, you're not living according to what he said. You've been pursuing what you want instead of what he said. And that area, and as a result, it's ending tragically. And I encourage you to do what he says to do. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. I mean, come back home like the prodigal did. But some of you are here, I know listening to this talk in one of our settings or somewhere online around the world and, and you've never experienced coming home, I want to encourage you, do it now. In fact, I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you to take the words of my prayer and make them your words. Just recognize the lie. Return to the Father. Repent of your sin and receive his love. Just pray this way. Just say, God, I really do believe that you love me unconditionally. That what I need in my life, what's missing in my life is not the stuff you can give me, but you. I acknowledge I don't deserve you. I acknowledge I've sinned against you. I acknowledge I've run away, left you out, rejected you. But Jesus died on the cross to forgive me and rose again to give me new life. And so right now, by faith, I'm receiving that forgiveness and I'm trusting you to make me a child of God. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to tell you, this story impacts me as a pastor, as someone who leads out a church like this, because more than anything in the world, I want Northridge to be a church that reflects God's love and acceptance. And so we try and create ministries, and we're not perfect at it, and I'm not perfect at it, but we really wrestle with this, and we have all kinds of ministries to try and help the runaway who's come home. And just know this, we're all runaways, so the ministry's for all of us. We have a place called Starting Point. It's a place where you can, it's really weird how we title this, but it's a pretty good place to start. <laughs> and Starting Point is, is starting at the end of this month and in the lobby of all of our regional campuses and here at Plymouth you can go check out Starting Point it's just a great way to go I want to know more about the Father and I want to know more about what you know my relationship like him with him can be like and I really encourage you to do that but it's not the only ministry we just had a whole new season of our care ministry start and care ministry it sounds like oh you know what's that for people in the hospital and everything yeah but it's so much more than that it's for when life gets real like with all runaways and I mean, it's a Monday night thing that you can come to and it connects in almost every area of life. I mean, you're dealing with family issues, relational issues, or anger issues, or all kinds of emotional issues, or divorce and remarriage, or, or just life itself. And, and we actually put together a big thing about care when life gets real and it's on our discovery walls. It's at guest services. You can check it out online. I just really encourage you, look at this is a place that wants to show you God's love and acceptance, but you have to make the choice. We're always trying to get better at it as well. And so this coming week, we, we're starting a brand new form of men's ministry, kicking it off in a far larger way. And on Tuesday night, there's a huge, I mean, we want to be relevant to guys, so we figured, you know, cholesterol-rich food would be the way. So Buffalo Wild Wings is going to be served, and it's going to be awesome. Think about this. Two things guys like. Buffalo Wild Wings and free, unbelievable, and it's Tuesday night, and it's just a way to start connecting with this thing that's going to start moving forward, and you can find out more about it on northridgechurch.com slash men, and I just really encourage you, if you prayed with me, let us know. We give you this program, and on the inside is a connection card, and all you have to do is fill it out and answer the questions on the bottom, and then there are boxes at every exit, just throw it in there, and we want to send you information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God and, and uh, I hope you will if you're in one of our regional campuses for you if you're online just hit the one next button and do the same thing but here's how I want to conclude two verses that'll give me the conclusion for you John 10.10 10 says and it's Jesus talking I've come that they might have life and have it to the full who's the they? us and who are we? the runaways the ones wallowing with the pigs of guilt and regret and remorse. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. John 8, 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That which we've rejected because we think it will keep us from what we long for is that which will actually set us free. It's the story of the prodigal. It's our story. And so here's the conclusion. And I hope you'll really, really reflect on this this week. When we come home, we discover and experience the life and freedom that we were looking for when we ran away. 
And you might be a person who right now is thinking about making a really, really bad choice in your life. And I want you to know, and this is so important, you're not going to find what you're looking for when you run away from God. You're going to find that God is what you're looking for. Build your relationship with him. And for the rest of us, wouldn't it be great this week to just live at home? Because remember, where God is, that's home. And the good news is God's always available, willing to give us a robe and a hug. But the choice is ours. I hope we'll make it. Thanks for coming, everyone. We'll see you next time.